Heavenly Father, we're grateful that we can gather on this beautiful day, this Lenten season, and continue to walk our journey through the cross of Palm Sunday. And we pray that as we look at this familiar passage to many of us, that you would open our eyes to see it for what it is, and that, Lord, you would speak through my lips, that you would bend our wills to your own, and take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your Son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We're in a series we've entitled Journey to the Cross, where all our lectionary texts take us right there to the cross of Palm Sunday. And typically, in year A of the lectionary you'll find in our prayer book, we're in Matthew. But it hops off the Matthew train, and we hop on the John train for the next five weeks as we approach Palm Sunday, where we're going to find texts that are wonderfully encouraging, yet also challenging to what it means for us to follow Christ. But they give us great hope as we do so. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 3. If you're a guest, you'll see it in the back of your bulletin. Setting the stage for you, you know the story. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, goes to Jesus in the middle of the night in order not to be seen by his colleagues. But why is this the case when you really think about it? It's probably a windy night. How do I know that? Well, verse 7, Jesus refers to the wind blows wherever it pleases to hear its sound. That Greek word there is voice. It's fairly probable that Jesus is talking about the voice, the sound of the wind they were listening to right then. In other words, Nicodemus comes on this windy night. Secondly, what we know about Nicodemus is that he is a Pharisee. That means he's, he's older. You don't get to be a Pharisee as a young man. You get to be a Pharisee as you're way up there, probably in his upper 40s, 50s, or 60s. He was wealthy because the Pharisees did very well for themselves in that society. He's also highly, highly educated. Notice down in verse 10, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. That's a technical term. Jesus is saying to him in our day, you've got a Ph.D. from an Ivy League school in Bible scholarship. You're among the cultural elite. And Nicodemus responds to Jesus in verse 2 of John 3 with the words, we know. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So I think after studying this passage this week, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus in the middle of the night to avoid controversy among his colleagues. And he sits down, Jesus, and he says, now, young man, most of the establishment is against you, but some of us, some of us see you as this tremendous teacher. Your miracles are genuine. You're a man to be reckoned with, so let's play ball. We can do you good. You can do us some good. In other words, he's not spiritually speaking necessarily. 
He's open, but he's not necessarily spiritually sinking. And he's certainly not a person who's come to Jesus pleading, can I discover the meaning of my life? No, he's really doing some backroom politicking. He's not the over-emotional type, you know, we're not that tacky. He's reached the top of the corporate ladder. He's content. He doesn't go for all that emotional stuff. And so what we're going to discover in this passage today is the priority of the new birth. What is the new birth? And three, how do we experience it? All right? The priority of the new birth explains the new birth. And three, how do we all receive it because it's to this guy who's got his act all together jesus come to him and says nicodemus you must be born again now nicodemus would respond to that thinking you know that born again stuff that's for you know the people whose lives are out of control that's for the alcoholics the drug addicts you know the, the sexually active They need the born-again experience, but not me. But it's to Jesus. As Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. See, our culture thinks that to be born again means you don't drink or you do drink. You know, you don't, excuse me, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't sleep around. And yet Jesus chooses a guy who doesn't do any of those things and says you have to be born again. The message of the new birth is not a call to morality or to some kind of moral code. He's looking at Nicodemus, who's probably impeccably moral, and saying to him, you have to be born again. You're starting over. Matter of fact, anything you've done up to this point counts for nothing. Jesus actually takes him to task. He says this in verse 7. You shouldn't be surprised at this, Nicodemus. You're going to have to go back and rethink all about faith and spirituality. If this isn't at the very center of your understanding, Nicodemus, then you don't understand anything about the Bible, God, and spirituality. He's saying the same thing to you. Haven't you used this idea that born again is for certain kinds of people? As a way of keeping yourself from having really to think about it yourself? Well, stop it. That's Jesus' first point to every single one of us. We all must be born again. It's that important, it's that critical, and it's a priority. Secondly, he explains the new birth. What is it? What Jesus is saying simply is to be born again is there's a certain point that God puts his spirit into you. He implants it in you. New desires. At the very root. New motivations, new power, new life. In a certain sense, you're replanted. First Peter 1, 23, Peter says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable. 
It's a total transformation. It's not rearranging your spiritual furniture, if you will. Think about it. If you owned an apple orchard and after 30 years of, of doing your apples and you're well known in the Shenandoah Valley for doing the best apples in the valley, you say, you know, I don't want to grow apples anymore. I'm going to grow cherries. So you go out and you water your apple trees, you fertilize your apple trees, you prune your apple trees, and in the fall, what comes out? Apples, not cherries, right? In other words, what this is saying, if you want new fruit, you have to go down to a new root. In other words, you need to replant. Rearranging is when we just want to try harder. Oh, I, I need to go to church. So you go to church. You stop doing the things your mother always told you you shouldn't do anyway, but you've been doing them since you were a teenager. What are you doing when you start to go to church? You're rearranging. This is about transformation. What we do is we try to plant and water and prune no, what we need is new life. And notice that Jesus interrupts Nicodemus in this chapter. He doesn't really let Nicodemus get a word in edgewise. Nicodemus' first words are 30. He has 30 words that he uses. His second statement is 20 words. His third statement is four words. And then you don't hear from him again until chapter 7. Jesus just rides all over him, and he just listens. And what Jesus is saying is, Nicodemus, you have to break through that you're a good person paradigm. You think basically I'm a teacher, I'm a helper, I'm your moral example to follow. You think true religion is basically getting the teaching trying your best, and then God will have favor on you. And as long as you believe that, you will never be born again. You have to break through that good teacher paradigm. It's a whole new way of entering into Jesus Christ as your Savior paradigm. That's what Martin Luther did. There was no one in Luther's order that was as pious as Luther. And so he says in a very famous account, he says, I labored diligently and anxiously as how to understand Paul's words in Romans 1.17 that those who are righteous by faith are justified. And he thought about it and he thought about it. He says, I was laboring diligently and anxiously as how to understand Paul's words. I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God punishes the unrighteous and I had no confidence that my own heart could possibly assuage him of my own merit. Then I grasped that the righteousness of God is that righteousness which through grace and sheer mercy God gives to us through Christ and faith. Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and have gone through open doors into paradise. When I saw the difference that the law is one thing and the gospel is another... I broke through. Why do you think Jesus so vehemently goes after Nicodemus? He's not changing the subject. Nicodemus says, 
I know you came, you came to teach. Jesus says, you don't need more teaching. If you treat me as a good teacher who tells you how to save yourself rather than a savior who's come to do for yourself what you can't do for yourself, you'll never be born again. What you need, Nick, is a breakthrough. You can operate either out of the model paradigm, Jesus as your model paradigm, your teacher paradigm, or as your savior paradigm, Nicodemus, what is it going to be? To be born again means you see everything differently. It changes everything. Everything changes. Everything is new. So how do we receive it? Well, there's two points here, I think. The first we learn at Nicodemus in John's gospel. You listen to Jesus. Later on in chapter 7, Nicodemus stands up in front of the Pharisees and says, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? The point of this is for some of us, especially us nice, suburban, more educated people. You know, some of those nasty people, those sexually active people, those people whose lives are out of control. They need this. Did you ever recognize in the Gospels who Jesus is most compassionate with and loving with and gentle with? It's the people whose lives are out of control, the tax collectors and sinners. He loved them. But to the Nicodemuses of the world whose lives are put together well, got a good appearance, he says, sit down, listen. And think. Think. And he gives them something to think about that will get them out of the good teacher, Jesus, as his paradigm. And into the savior paradigm. Look at verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What does it mean to be so lifted up that all the poison and venom in your system would be healed? Jesus says, I came to be lifted up. I didn't come to be a good teacher. I came to be lifted up, Nicodemus. So Nicodemus is thinking and he's thinking and he's thinking. That's the first thing. The first thing you have to do is listen and think. About the paradigm. Don't just say, I want the peace, I want the joy, I want to get out of whatever behavior is holding me back. I want the power. If you look carefully at the born again metaphor, it keeps you away from all that. Who actually brings about the birth? I don't know, I sat through four births of my children, and those children had nothing to do with that birth. The baby is born through the mother bearing the weight through all those months. Somebody else suffers. Somebody else is burdened. Somebody else is in labor. Someone else is in anguish. Someone else is bleeding. You see how different this is? 
You can't make yourself a Christian. You can't manufacture yourself a Christian. You can't force yourself into this. It doesn't mean God doesn't honest prayer, honor prayers of searching, because he always takes us right where we are. But the reality is it's all of him. Christianity is different, and that's the reason why Jesus is trying to say, you want me to be a good teacher? You want to do this, you have to receive it. You want to have an experience, you get that experience by looking at me high and lifted up on the cross, trusting in that work of the cross on your behalf and surrendering all of your life unto me. That will change you. Notice Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus and he doesn't say to us, go get born. Go have this experience. He says, look and listen to me. Think about me high and lifted up to you. So first of all, you have to listen and think and you understand the difference between Jesus as a good teacher and Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Secondly, what we have to do is to do what Nicodemus did. If you go to the end of the book of John's Gospel, chapter 19, it's fascinating. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. That's verse 38 of chapter 19, if you have your Bible with you. But secretly, because he feared the Jews... When Pilate, with Pilate's permission, Joseph came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs at the place where Jesus was crucified. There was a garden, and in the garden tomb... They laid Jesus there. So here you have two wealthy, educated men doing what was in the ancient world forbidden of men to do. This was considered women's work. They took Jesus' body down and they wrapped it, going against the culture of the day. Something had changed Nicodemus' heart. This old man was willing to come and touch a dead body. Because Jesus had said, you think about me. You listen to me. I will be lifted up. And when Nicodemus saw Jesus lifted up upon the cross, it penetrated him. And it changed everything. He stood that it's Jesus' labor. It's his anguish. Jesus is the mother. In fact, if you know, read John 16, Jesus says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. I marvel at Kimmy going through what she went through, carrying our four children, bearing them all naturally, and the pain she endured. And when those babies were born and she was holding them, it was over. 
Amazon work. Guys, we could never do it. No way. Every place where Jesus talks about his hour in the gospel, he's talking about his death. And Jesus Christ is therefore saying, I'm the mother who I will die in labor in my blood lifted up on the cross for you. I will lose the Father's love so that you can have it. But I love you so much, even as I die, when I see you born again, it will all be worth it. Nicodemus got it. He listened. He thought. He meditated on it. Until the light bulb went off. You. Listen to him. Think of him being high in lifted up for you. As the one through whose labor you were brought into this world who is filled with delight when he sees you born again. Even though he's dying at that moment. Think about that. Christian friends, do not say... I'm born again. Live born again. For there's no other Christian. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to see why this is such a radical message in our day. As it always is. And yet why it gives hope to all of us. Yet we confess, we recognize this is a challenging message. I pray you would Please help us to appropriate it for ourselves this morning. Everyone in this room is in a different place in our journey. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see you lifted up. Grant that to us, Lord. Asking it for Jesus' sake. Amen.